Welcome to Stemming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha, a podcast for and about women of color in STEM. These women are brave, beautiful, and brilliant. Their stories deserve and need to be heard. Their voice strong, their message clear, their experiences priceless. Now let's welcome this wonderful winning woman of color to the show. Hi, and welcome to Stimming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha. And as many of you know, I've been on a brief hiatus. I had to take a, just a mental, physical, and emotional break, but I am back. And, <laughs> and we, of course, we have a, another great guest today on our show, as we do. Um, and first, I want to take the time to really say thank you guys for 5,000 downloads so far. Um, I really appreciate your time, the effort and energy for all of those people who forward my podcast, who forward the notifications, who um, listen multiple times, um, who do all of the things to help support us in, um, in this effort to get our stories told. So I uh, wanted to take some time this morning to really make sure that I um, let you know that I appreciate you. So now on to our guest. Our guest today is Kelly Christopher, and I can't wait to talk to you. She's here, and so we will, I say hello. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. It's been a busy summer, but uh, yeah, I uh, have summer programming. And Do you? Summer, yeah, but just okay, like, I can't wait to hear about it. I can't, I can see, now I'm, I'm all super excited, um, and people who know who listed are like, she's like a, a girl. Uh, a little girl sometimes. Um, but I just really, as we talked about a little bit earlier before we started recording, I just get really excited about talking with um, other women of color in STEM who are just doing the work, right? And we know that there is a lot of work to do. Yeah. So just having, just taking a moment to have a conversation is so important. Um, a, for me, so that one, you know that you're supported. Even if we never speak again past this interview, right. I want you to know that I'm out here silently rooting you on. <laughs> I'm, I'm sending you folks. I'm, I'm, right. I'm putting opportunities out there for you. I'm silently praying for you um, because, A, I know it's not, it hasn't been easy. I don't even know your story yet, but I know it hasn't been easy. And I know there's been, you know, all these obstacles that, that, um, that have been placed. And I want to help break those down. So I want to put that out there. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> because you would think that every Black woman is out, you know, supporting and rooting you on, but it isn't always that way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's nice to hear that. Thank no, thanks. Um, okay. So as we do every episode, um, tell us your STEM story. Okay. Well, and I do tell my STEM story quite often because um, I'm the founder and the executive director of the STEM Greenhouse. And it's an, a, it's an organization that's dedicated to preparing children of color for careers in, in STEM. But um, I often have opportunities to tell kids, you know, how I ended up going into STEM. And for me, when I was younger, I didn't really like math. It was um, something I guess I kind of developed a fear of. And even, you know, I had a lot of anxiety around it. When you're younger, there's a lot of time, to, you know, it's more about mental math and right. that sort of thing. It was stressful. <laughs> and so, and then also, as I look back, I just didn't have any women in my life that like math or, mm -hmm. you know, so that's a big part of it as well. But eventually I, um, when I was in the seventh grade, I had a counselor that put me in an advanced or the honors math class. And I thought, what in the world would you put me in a honors math class for? Um, and I really tried to get out of it. I called, you know, I told my mom, I cried. I said, I can't do this, uh, this honors math. And the um, counselor who was a black woman, she just said, you know what, just try it for one semester. And if you don't like it, we'll take you out. But now I was put in this situation where I was going to be around what I considered the smart kids. And I didn't want to look bad. Mm. So really what happened was for the first time, I really 
was started working hard and mm-hmm. I really tried. Um, and I found that not only did I like math, I was excelling. I was, you know, when I actually gave it my best effort, I was the top of the class, you know, and I um, went from being like a, a CD type of math student to a AA plus math student. But that gave me a lot of confidence in the you know middle school just to know that really I could do anything that I put my mind to, but it was going to require work. Mm. And um, so even then I went to high school, I was an excellent student. I ended up being the valedictorian of my high school. And even though I had, you know, AP calculus, AP physics, all of the things that would direct you to a STEM career, I didn't have, I didn't really know what I wanted to do um, as far as a career. And I had gone to, you know, I'd gone to the STEM camps. It wasn't called STEM back then, but, you know, the engineering camps. And I didn't realize it, but those spaces just did not seem very fun to me. Right. You know, you go to, a, you know, I went to this one women engineering camp and you go to one, you know, one department after another. And they keep introducing you to these old white men <laughs> and Asian men. And they're like, this is engineering is great. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't think I want to do this. Right. Why right. would I want to do that? They ain't nobody look like me here. Yeah. And, and but it was it was subconscious. Like I didn't even realize that I was turning down this career because of what, it you know, the environment. It just didn't look fun. Yeah. So finally, I had a friend who was a year ahead of me and she was a black female and she had gone to North Carolina A&T for college. The, and she had come back in like May when she had gotten out of college and and she had majored in engineering. I'm like, really? You know, that's something we can do. I didn't even really, I didn't even really think of it as an option for myself. But once I saw that she was doing well in engineering, I said, okay, because I wanted to go to North Carolina A&T as well. I said, I think I will, you know, try engineering. And um, yeah, I really, you know, like I said, I really loved it. I loved my time at a historically black college and then um, decided to go to University of Illinois to get my master's degree and my Ph.D., Now, I was an agricultural engineer. Um, My major undergrad was agricultural and biosystems engineering. And so, um, but when I went to the University of Illinois, there had never been a Black person who had gotten a PhD out of that department. And um, so when I did get my PhD in agricultural engineering, I was the third Black woman in the world to get a PhD in that field. So um, definitely in spaces where I was, you know, the only one. And um, isn't so, that still the story? Yeah, it is. And that's one of the things that I tell people who are funders, because I have a daughter now who just turned 13 years old and she plans to be an engineer. But when she go when she goes to college, basically, this, you know, the departments don't look any different. Um, hey, you know, 10, 20 I, years later, still. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yep. I got a PhD in engineering. I don't know, over 15 years ago. And now somebody is another black woman is finally being the second black person to get a Ph.D. You know, it took all that time. Uh, we're not going to achieve the success that we want, not necessarily as a, a race a race, but our our country really can't accept that low, slow uh, movement of the needle. We really need to do more to put more people of color and children of color, uh, prepare them for careers in STEM and so um, that's why I started the STEM Greenhouse. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. I have, I, I just, okay. So I knew that on, you know, because True T audience, we met on LinkedIn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is our first time seeing each other. But like, I feel your story so much. It just reminds me of my own story in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm a mechanical engineer by trade, but there were so many times where I went in classes or when I decided to be an engineer, my mom was like, are you sure you don't want to be a nurse? Like, why are you, <laughs> you know, she instinctively knew, like, you're going to be in spaces that I, I can't even help you. Like, I don't know right. what to say to you to help support you in the, in the, in this environment that you are choosing mm-hmm. to go in. Um, and, and so um, I'm glad that you had the experience of going to an HBCU. I mean, North Carolina Ante is like the best 
um, school HBCU for engineering. Mm-hmm. And so like everybody in, in the few times I've been there to either speak or do a workshop is just like, I'm, I, it's like the Mecca. Okay. Yeah, right. I feel like, Oh my God, I have come home. Here are my people. Right. Well, and I'm so glad I had that experience. When I went to the university of Illinois, every black graduate student in their engineering program had gone to an HBCU undergrad. You know, we're not, when you go to a PWI undergrad, it is very hard to come out with that confidence and that's still loving the profession enough to continue on to graduate school. And so um, HBCUs are doing an amazing job preparing people, preparing children of people of color for STEM careers. Mm. And I never felt like I was at a disadvantage at the University of Illinois. I always was one of the top students, even in my department there. Um, I love that. I just, I wish that I had um, that if I could go back and redo anything um, in my career, that would probably be it. Um, because I struggled with the, you know, imposter syndrome, ha- lacking confidence. I don't even know if I call it imposter syndrome so much as lacking confidence, uh, confidence in myself yes. and in my own abilities. Because one of the things that HBCUs do so well um, is helping to instill not only the knowledge bank, but that confidence, you know, the that little bucket of confidence that <laughs> that we all need that stuff helps. You know, and it's, and it's, it's fun too, because I remember some of my best memories uh, being at uh, A&T were the times when we were studying in groups and it would be late at night and someone yep. would turn on music in the computer lab and it was the music that you wanted to listen to, you know? Right. When I would go to when I was at the University of Illinois, it was just a much more lonely experience. And if had I not had that experience at AT, I don't know if I could have um done it. I don't know if I would have, I don't think I would have chosen to continue. Now yeah. I do know people, you know, that's not to say that, you know, it's the only way, but it is definitely a if you can do it, <laughs> I recommend do it. Yeah, yeah, that I agree with that. So so then when you're at um, University of Illinois and you're in that environment where like ain't nobody looking like you <laughs> nobody you know there's very few females and they and they definitely don't have your ethnicity or your you know your race they're they're not it's just not happening no. so um kind of talk us through sort of what that I mean I know it was I can I know it was lonely because uh, I that's a similar that's a similar experience yeah. But like, what was the thing, the thing that sort of helped you stay the course and make it all the way through? Well, um, I tell kids this all the time, too. You know, even in spaces that are primarily white, you have to find your family, your um, tribe, so to speak. And mm-hmm. and for me, one of the things that helped me out was being a member. I was a member of a sorority. I'm um, an AKA. And so being able to join that the chapter in at the University of Illinois, not at the university, but in their community, because it was a graduate chapter um, that allowed me to have a connection with other black women. And you don't have to be in a sorority to have this. There are other organizations on campus. But it it was definitely something um, because, like you said, I wasn't going to see any black women (laughs) around me. Um, And even at the University of Illinois. Um, my roommate, she had gone to an HBCU and she was an AKA. That's how I connected with her. And she was a chemistry major. And so um, we were both in STEM. It was just, it was just very helpful. To yeah. have, it's almost like kind of having a family because the spaces I was in, and I mean, there was so much like jealousy. I had a, um, I had a, a fellowship from the National Science Foundation, which mm. is a very, prestigious fellowship. Very few people at the campus had it, whether black, white, or whatever. Um, and it wasn't a race-based type of uh, fellowship, but, you know, a lot of the other, because I had a fellowship and they were on assistantships, other graduate students were, you know, jealous of that. They thought that I'm everything I was getting was because I was black. black. Yep. And, um, and eventually, like, things changed because they just realized that, wow, she really is a strong student. I mean, it wasn't um, uh, she wasn't just given this, you know, because she was black, but I, it's hard to have every class you go to, you have to prove yourself 
over and over again. And that gets exhausting. Like, why yeah. do I have and to? In, and in ways home? other students don't have to. No, no, but I have to prove that I belong here. Right. And I'll be in a classroom and be the only black person. And no matter how uh, excellent I am, the next class, I have to do it all over again. Yep. You know, prove to that teacher that I'm worthy, that I belong here. And um, the only thing I will say is that it makes you a stronger person. I it mean, does. I don't think that I could accomplish what I've accomplished now because I'm still in spaces now that I'm in a nonprofit space and I'm trying to do these um, things for children of color. I can't tell you how difficult it has been to get resources and funding because white people just assume that you're not qualified or that you're, you know, or we're somehow going to waste the money that they, white people know better what children of color need. Well, you know, that's, that's one of those, uh, what I don't even know if it's a stereotype, but it's all about, you know, black people or people of color don't necessarily know what to do with their money. Yes. Um, So they want people who are going to be good stewards over the funds that they give them. So it can't be you. It can't be you. And I told them, I said, you, you haven't had one, you know, all those t- money that you've given away, you haven't increased student proficiency, proficiency in math and science. I have done that. But you, but you think I'm going to waste the money? You've been wasting money. Right. So you, if you don't mind giving $1.5 million to a white person who doesn't do anything, has no outcomes, but you can't give me, you barely give me $5,000 and act like don't spend it all in one place. Well, okay. So here's a question for you. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So why um, agriculture or agricultural engineering and why, you know, bioscience, what, what took you down that pathway? Well, for me, um, I was pretty interested in uh, environmental uh, engineering. So mm-hmm. I would say that for the type of agricultural engineering that I do is closer to environmental engineering. Agricultural engineering started actually as a division of mechanical engineering mm-hmm. where the people who were developing tractors and all of the machinery uh, related to agriculture. Yeah. But then it just kind of broke off into its own thing. And, you know, like there's agricultural engineers who are doing, you know, they're working for Kellogg and Post and making the cereals and putting the apples out of the trees and stuff like that. Um, I was more on the environmental uh, side and the research I would do is really just creating software that, you know, if you put uh, pollution or a fertilizer or a pesticide on a, on, um, a, on a farm, on a plot of land, how does that get into our waterways? How does that? Right. So those things were, um, they were interesting me, interesting to me, theoretically. Now, when I started working as an agricultural engineer and I worked for the USDA, um, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, I sort of realized that I had been really good at the theoretical uh, components. I didn't really want to go outside, though. You know, <laughs> so when I when I got this job and I'm like, man, I got to go outside. It's hot or there's bugs. You know, I, in graduate school, I had kind of spent all my time, you know, on a, <laughs> I was programming, coding every day. Um, so it, it was a little bit different to be out in. And I didn't really like it as much. I'll be honest. I wasn't mm-hmm. as into um, and then also there were times that I didn't feel safe um, mm. because when you're in agriculture, you're in rural areas, yep. you know, sometimes I'd be by myself and I'm thinking, man, I'm out here in the, you know, and I'm Girl, so you about to be myself. a movie. You about to be yeah. in a movie. Exactly. Okay. I'm thinking everybody here has guns. What if somebody thinks I'm stealing something or why am I out on their farm? I'm trying to do my work as an engineer, but you know, as a white man, I could go drive out on somebody's um, field, make, take some measurements, but can I do that? Like no, they, there were yeah. times when I thought I don't feel safe, you know? Um, so I was, there were a couple of reasons that I wanted to, you know, sort of get out of that. And also I had children that were young children at the time I had, you know, had a couple of babies and I started doing more STEM things for them, um, in the activities that they were involved in, like Jack and Jill and stuff like that. And um, I really liked that. I really liked working with kids and trying to excite them about STEM. Yeah, that's where the future is for me. Um, so is that sort of what you were doing with your own kids? That is that sort of how you landed with Greenhouse? Yeah, well, first I had a business um, where I was doing it, but I realized that I was spending all my time in suburban areas. Mm-hmm. I was working with white children every day. And it, and I was like, I didn't stop being an engineer so that I could help wealthy white children um, get even more ahead in STEM. 
I really did it because I wanted to see more people of color in STEM. I wanted the next generation to not have to do, be like me, be the only one all the time. Right. Um, you know, I thought about like how much more cool would my job have been if there were multiple people of color in my office? Right. It wasn't, you know, just me. And, th- and I've worked with some really cool white guys. I really didn't experience a lot of racism or anything in my career when I was an engineer with the USDA. But how much more comfortable would it have been? You know, like they would like to spend time with each other, even when they weren't at work. But I didn't really, you know, right. you know, and it was it's a different experience for us even when they're not trying to exclude you or anything, you just, I just don't want to spend my extra hours with them. Right. I'm not right. There no, that's true. I mean, it's the same. It's like I met, and I actually am still friends with, with some of the men that, that, you know, I was, uh, I did a lot of work with. We did a lot of projects when I was an engineer. Um, but was I partying with them on the weekend? No, no. Like, I don't want to go out for a beer after work, you know, right. they had that culture, that community that just didn't exist for me. And I thought, man, how cool would it be if we could go into our office and there are just multiple black people, multiple who, black who understood and who and who got it right? Yeah. Like you don't yeah. have to necessarily explain it. You don't have to, you know, like you don't. Everybody or like I'm. <laughs> I felt like there were times where, like, okay, Jim just said some some stuff, <laughs> and it was real wrong. Um, yeah. and, you or know, and then have you have to, to if you yeah. have to in the mental hygienics you have to go through with the okay I, am I going to say something or what if I say something and then you know and it's like whoa just to be yeah. in an office where you don't even need to you know have to go through that or you know even in that this is something I remember you know because I was pregnant while I was working as an engineer and there were times that like maybe it was just me and one of my white co-workers white male co-workers and I think how do they feel walking around with a pregnant black woman? You know, can we go out to lunch? Like they can go out to lunch together and nobody assumes anything, but will they feel uncomfortable going with me um, out to lunch and, and things like that? So this is, it's a real, it's a situation. It is. And well, so when I was pregnant and I was, you know, I told, I think I told this story, I don't know, some conference I was at, but I was, and they sent me, I had to go to a military base in like Podunk Town, Alabama. I was, I was seven months pregnant. I mean, visibly pregnant. Yes. And my partner, I think he was so mad that he got partnered with me because he was just, he was horrible. Right. You know, to me. And it was just like, you know, he he gave me the, of course, I'm the junior engineer too. So, so. It's like, okay, you clearly see I'm seven months pregnant. You give me the outside jobs. Like, so I have to, I have to measure the outside of the building. I have to go, all of the systems that were outside, those were all of the things I had to go measure and and take pictures of and do the things. And so I was like, really? But I sucked it up and I did it. Now I was tired on my feet and I thought my husband was going to come and fight somebody when, you know, when it was all over. But it was like doing, you know, like things like that happened. And I was like, okay, because, you know, because in my mind, I was like, I can't tell if if he just he thinks that this is the norm for black pregnant women. Yeah, I'm just going to make sure, you know, sure she understands I'm not giving her any special treatment. Correct. And I was like, wow, that's um, that's pretty special. Well, and in my case, the people that I was working with, they did not do that to me, but I still had to think about it and I still had to consider it. Like I'm always, as a person of color, I'm worried about how we have to consider how we are presented at all times. At all times. um, You know, I tell people that oftentimes we are like cultural chameleons. We try to, you know, when we're in environments where there's a lot of white people, we we acted differently than we act around black people. Yeah. Um, and we have to, to do that to be successful and to navigate those spaces, but it's not fair. And yeah. I'm, and I'm hopeful that as time changes um, things and really it just, our country changes. I tell, you know, these companies that I work with now, there's not enough white people to fill all your STEM jobs. So you're going to have to start educating people of color. This, if I tell them, if you're, if your in environment is still 95% white male in 20 years, you are going to be obsolete. Nobody, the, the, our, the demographics are shifting more. Brown. Right. It's not in their favor. Yeah. yeah. You can't. It's not keep, in their favor. Yeah. So it's up. It's, it's to your benefit 
to learn how to start changing the culture of your um, organization. It's 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 for yes. you. Not this is if you want to sustain. This is a sustainability plan for you. Diversity yes. is not um, just something to do because it's nice. You yes. will have to be more diverse, or you will not be able to compete. That tells me that's like um what uh Dr. Monica Cox says all the time. She says you you know people need to stop playing at diversity. Right. Isn't but and the thing is they have to stop acting like they're doing us a favor. Right. You no, know, diversity is for your benefit. If you want your company to still be in existence, um, you're gonna have to make some changes. And part of it is diversity. Part of it is for you to change your culture and realize that you're not gonna you have to let go of the uh, the the white supremacist uh, right. mindset, you know, like, the idea that that like white people are more apt for jobs like these. Yes, it's like you just less just you got to start letting it go. Even just understanding that you're not going to have the same office dynamic anymore. There's right. going to be people of all different cultures. There, you're going to have to diversify and just get used to <laughs> it. Line, point there blank in the period. Some want to hang on to this, yeah. or they they only want to hire black people that act like white people. Yeah. Come on now, you're going to have. We have to be able to show up as our authentic selves, and that's for that is going to help your business. Yeah. Because if we if we have to leave your business and you're left with only white men, you're going to be in trouble. Ten years from now, twenty years from now, it's it's over. You ain't, yeah. you're not going to be ex- able to exist. People are going to be looking at them like, what, where 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 are you where are you guys? They, look, they they are having trouble filling their jobs right now. Yeah, and it's only going to get worse. They were worried about a diverse pipeline. Now there's just no pipeline at all. At all. Job application. Now they are not getting qualified candidates. But now, so now they're realizing, okay, maybe we should have invested in quality education for everybody Long time ago the other thing so okay so take me through so you left engineering or you left the, that job or yeah. that profession and then you you started a nonprofit or you had a business that wasn't a nonprofit and then you turned it into a nonprofit well and I mean technically I still have the business it's open but I just don't have any time to really do anything with it right now one yeah. day maybe I'll go back to it. But um, the nonprofit work is just, you know, it takes a lot of energy and um, I don't have a lot of um, additional staff to, you know, so that I can do more business things. But I find that um, this work is very fulfilling. So I was I remember my daughter was she had she was maybe two years old when I stopped working as an engineer and my son was, I guess, about six. And it was a good time because, you know, they were small and I really just wanted to be honest, to be sort of a stay at home mom, but have some other things to do. But by the time my daughter got to kindergarten, I was ready to kind of do the um, the nonprofit full time. Wow. Yeah. So but that was in 2014 when I really, you know, went into it full time. Now, look, I, I put full time in. I didn't get full time income. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I have it. I wasn't getting paid, but at least I could direct all my energies right. into it. And um, and as I went started, you know, the nonprofit, I found that it was much harder to get money as a nonprofit than it was a business. Like it wasn't that difficult for me to, you know, for me to start my business. But there in the nonprofit space, again, they are they want to to know that they're not going to start, you know, give you some money and then you just won't be there the next year. So it takes a few years to just for people to realize you're not going anywhere. Right. Even then, once I started working and I started getting the, you know, really good results, I still couldn't get any money though, because, you know, like I was saying, because there's so much racism and philanthropy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they might say, well, this grant is only for organizations that have a budget of a half million dollars or more. Well, if I don't have a half million dollar budget, does that mean I'm not an excellent, you know, my, the quality of my programming is very good. Right. And, wow. and in my community, it was like, they had done some research and my, or my programming was the only programming that increased student test scores. It was the only program that increased student interest in STEM careers. And it was the only program that increased student interest in taking higher level math and science classes in high school. So even after all that research was done, they still would turn around and give the money to the programs that didn't do any of that. Uh, so t- so go into detail. Let's go into detail about about what your what your company is, your nonprofit is and what it does. OK. 
Well, the purpose is to prepare children for, of color for careers in science, technology, engineering, math. The way to do that is with a quality math and science education. I work at schools that don't have science teachers. So you're a middle school student and you're at a school that doesn't have a science teacher. You're not going to be proficient in science. Um, they don't eat some schools. They don't even have a science class. Uh, this is inequitable. This is not fair. Um, so I started going to the school that actually I went to as a child that had become a K-8 school. It was just an elementary school. And um, I started there. Then I moved on to another school that just happened to be a school that my grandmother had uh, taught at. And um, and again, just an after school program. We did science, but we're we're teaching science. That's the reality. They're not getting science. So we're teaching science after school and we are doing math. Um, math remediation. Mm, so okay. but we're trying to do fun things. You know, we're not going to sit there and get a bunch of handouts and, you know, yeah, no worksheets because they do that in the, during the day and we want to make it fun. And um, so then we expanded uh, last summer, we started a math and science Academy at a local university that was five weeks long for middle school students, very, I mean, that program was really important to a lot of those kids. And the average student in that program increased their uh, math computations uh, proficiency by two grade levels in just five weeks. Wow. And people always say, well, what was the, what was the secret uh, curriculum? Secret sauce, huh? yeah. I, said, I said, I have five black male teachers. And, and that is, I have 50 students, five black male teachers. And most of my students had never had a black male teacher in their life. Yeah. You know, in the school district that we live in, there's 14 black male teachers and there's 14,000 students. Wow. So, so that's a crazy but, number. Yeah. It's like there's no magic to it. Children of color in this research shows that children learn best from people who are demographically similar to them. Well, if you're a white female, you're going to learn best from a white female. If yeah. you're a black male, you're going to learn best from a black male. So if we're in a school district where 85 percent of the teachers are white female, it shouldn't surprise us that black males would be the lowest performing demographic group. That shouldn't be that's, as far away from them as possible, like exactly. a white woman. And it's, then, yeah. yeah. So when you bring in five black male teachers who are teaching you math and applied math and science and, you know, it's changing things that you don't even, you don't, it's subconscious. Yeah. That person yeah. is expecting something out of you that maybe your white female teacher is not expecting. Because if he's a black man, he knows you can learn it as a little black boy or a little black girl, or, you know, we have brown students as well. Right. But um, it's important for us to see people of color in education. And um, that it, it just, it was just amazing. And then this summer we did it again. Um, and now we have programs where we're actually teaching science during the school day, because like I said, you know, not everybody can come after school. So I, these kids don't have science teachers. So we're teaching a, like a one marking period, a life science program. Um, you know, these, these schools don't have microscopes. We're bringing in microscopes. They don't do any hands-on science. Um, they don't have any money to do it. So we're doing dissection. What middle school student shouldn't have access to dissecting? You know, that, that's some of our biggest memories from middle school. And they're not getting access to this. And it's not fair um, to them. Okay, so here's, yeah. here's a question for you. Um, because I, I think there is a misconception by a number of people that schools have what they need to teach our mm -hmm. kids and that our kids are just not learning. Yeah. Or they're, they're, they'll see all the test results and be like, not one kid is proficient in science. Oh, must be all that poverty and uh, single family home, single parent families. No, we're not even giving them an option. You know, right. they don't have anything. How That's, are they supposed to learn it if there's no one to teach there's them? There's nobody. Right? And, the, and the teachers they have don't have any budget for supplies. They don't have any training. They're not science uh, people. And what, I tr what I'm trying to get people to do is, act, you know, if this was your child, what urgency would you have? Because a lot of times they're like, oh, well, we'll just wait till the teacher shortage is solved. How many generations do we have to put through this school before you right. treat these kids like it was your child? Because you can yeah. move to another community and have a better school for your kid. But we're just going to let these kids suffer. Oh, there's right. not a science teacher. So I guess the black kids aren't going to get any. That's not uh, girl. Let me tell you, I 
it gets me so upset to see the way people just, you know, um, pass it. They pass it because it's not their kids and they can't. Exactly. It is really hard for my, my one of my girlfriends call, calls the calls white people the others. Right. They don't get it. It's like, oh, it's like, no, imagine that being your child. Right. But they don't, they don't, they can't. Our kids are looked at like they're, they're many adults. So mm-hmm. they don't see them as as children, as this is a six-year-old boy or this is a five-year-old girl, it yes. is, this is a little woman. And this is, a, you right. know, and it's like, well, no, this is a kid who his whose brain is developing just like yours is, yeah. who needs to, you know, they need to be fed the knowledge. They need to help grow and, you know, so they can perceive, so they can critically think about things so that they can problem solve, so they can project manage, so they can, yeah. you know, design, think all of the things, right? Yeah. But if they, and there's some fundamental things that research has shown, like, hey, you give a kid these things, they will, they will think, they will grow, they will flourish, they will do. And if we're not even doing the bare minimum. Right. We're not doing the bare minimum. And, and part of it that I have found is that, you know, schools don't want this information to get out. So they're not publicizing that they don't have science teachers for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, or that their their science teachers are only <laughs> at the schools with the most white kids. They're not doing that because they are, they're afraid. Okay. So um, what we end up having is just uh, the parents who are more knowledgeable, they, and the ones who have resources, they send their kids to the schools that have more resources. But I'm hoping that, um, that, you know, that's one of the things that I'm really pushing for is yeah. more equity. Well, how many schools are you in? Well, I am in five schools, but um, we reach kids that are in multiple schools. So there's 28 schools, like in our summer program, those kids come from 28 different schools. Mm-hmm. And it's really quite cool because even my daughter participates in that program, my 13 year old, and her and her little black girl friends who are good in math and, and, and science, like she has her own space you know that's not something she gets in her normal school yeah um and it's good for black children who usually are not around other black children to be in a in a space where they're in the majority you can't it's hard to be that one little black person and a kid representing your whole race and you know they need a space where they can um where it's okay to be excellent in math oh my god that's a quotable Oh, I love that so much. Like I tell people, where is their safe space? That's why that's one of the reasons they do so well, because this is a place where they can, you know, um, be pushed to do better and to, you know, do more. But they're in an environment where they're comfortable and um, it works good because I, my poor black children, they need to see black children who go on vacations and who have, they need to see a different, because um, in their minds, all they know is poverty. And then, you know, a NBA player, super yeah. rich, they don't even know what it's like to be a comfortable middle-class black person. Yeah. So they need to have those experiences with well, others. What what I learned, um, you know, doing, doing some, some of these, some of these programs um, and a few that I've designed myself is that kids that age, their whole entire world is a five mile radius around their house, right? Mm-hmm. Or where they're staying. Yeah. That's it. That's what they know. So it's our jobs as the adults in their life to push that knowledge, to, to expand that five mile radius. You know, maybe we start small and maybe we go yes. one mile past that, you know, so yeah. that they can have the experiences you know, that help expand the mind and mm-hmm. thought, you know, and create new thoughts. So exactly. that's what we, that's a part of the whole, whole idea of, of what think, what I think, and I believe STEM does is that it just expands the mind in ways that I don't think, you know, regular classrooms at this point do. Well, they can't, they don't really have the uh, means to do it, but right. But you're right. Like the, these kids, they have a very small, uh, you know, they don't get to experience a lot of things. Right. And, um, and especially our poor children, they, you know, they do not get a lot of opportunities. So this is huge for them. And, um, you know, one student told me this summer because we were in the cafeteria at the university 
And I was trying to explain to them how, you know, they could get whatever food they wanted, but I didn't want them to waste food. So, you know, just take what you want. And he said, wait a minute, this is an all you can eat buffet. And I said, well, yeah, but um, don't waste food. He said, I've only been to an all you can eat buffet one time in my life. And I thought to myself, this boy is going to college because now he's like, man, I get to eat all I can eat, all you can eat every day, every day with classes. I'm going to college. (laughs) But but if you've never been, if you don't have family that has been in college, you don't know what college is like. That's why I could have done this program at their school in the inner city. But I intentionally took them out of their environment to take them to a college campus so that they can have, um, like you said, it's so important to expand their minds. Even yeah. though we're in the same community, they've never even been at this university. Um, and, then, and then for them to come every day for five weeks, it's college is no longer a scary place that you don't know anything about. You are very comfortable in that space. After yeah, it becomes something that's less beyond them, you know. Right. How many times have you if you heard a kid say college is not for me? They've never been on a college campus, yes. know nothing about it. They just yeah. know it's not for them. I've heard it a million times, and um, or just say, "Well, I don't want to go to college," but you never really, you don't know. You have to try. So it's it's important to have these experiences and to you know get them out of their their normal environment. And um, yeah, I I consider myself creating a little bit of a mini HBCU. In, in my summer programs and I love it and the kids love are doing- so much okay I just I just do so okay question a question for you is if you where do you see yourself or where do you see the program where do you see your nonprofit um in two five years well, I'm expecting a lot of growth. You know, I like I told you, I've had such minuscule funding. I don't even know how I'm still standing after all this time. But in like the past year, we had about we served about 340 kids. And that's with pretty re, that's with very small resources. Mm-hmm. So um, there's another organization in our community that does STEM, well, really more science programming, but they don't have a focus on children of color. And our budget is like, you know, maybe 10% of their budget. So if we have more resources, we can, you know, instead of being 340 kids, there's thousands of kids that don't have science teachers in my community. Right. We, need to, we need to be in those spaces. But also what's very important to me is to get out of the idea that STEM is, you know, just robots or STEM is just slime. You know, they need fundamental math and science education. They're not proficient in math and science. I don't care how many trips you take, how many, you know, if that child is not proficient in math, they're not going to be able to access an engineering career. You're right. So let's stop playing and act, you know, math is important. And so um, most STEM programs don't even touch on math. And so that's one of the reasons we've been successful is because we prioritize math. Um, We make it as fun as we can. We um, like, for example, this summer, the applied engineering um, programming that they were doing was focusing on gerrymandering, voting. How does how is math being used to prevent people of color from getting the representation they deserve in 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 our government? Mm -hmm. So they need to know that these things are important to learn. uh, And it's beyond that's even if you don't go into a STEM career, I don't expect every kid to go into a STEM career, but they'll never be able to access it if they don't, if they're not proficient in math and science. And in my community, only 8% of the black 11th graders are proficient in math. Whoa. Yes. So we have a problem and a lot of communities are the same, but you won't see that data because they're hiding it. Nobody wants to, you know, that's not even uncommon. That's so scary, but it does explain a lot, right? Yes. Yes. And it also has me wondering, uh, we might have to do a part two. I, I know. know. I know. <laughs> um, but because it has me wondering about. So, again, you know, we and we both had experience where it's, you know, I'm not good in math. Right. I think mm-hmm. I wrote I wrote a story on LinkedIn um, a while back about my experience with um, a girl who told who said that to me, who said I'm not good in math and like wholeheartedly believed it, even though there was evidence, meaning her grades in my class, because I taught math, um, her grades in my class were like 89, 90, 93. She's busting out the test. I'm not good in math. Like she seriously held that belief 
that that she wasn't good in math. And I in part of my dissertation was on that, like perceptions. Yes. How that, you know, perceptions became reality, even though even though there, you know, there was evidence to to support the exact well, you know what? There's like <laughs> cognitive dissonance happening. Like how well, does that happen? Well, let me tell you, this is why I started my nonprofit because before when I had a business, I was mainly working with white schools, but I had this one opportunity to work with a a, a program for black girls in the inner city. And these were middle school girls. This one particular student was about to go to high school. And I was playing a very basic math game, like third grade level math game with them. And I saw she was struggling. I said, you know what? If you use division, you're going to get the answer that you want. And she said, "Um, Dr. Christopher, can you remind me what is division? She's about to go to high school and she doesn't even know the concept of division. This was like eight divided by four. This was not long division enough. She didn't know what division was. And I said, now that is not her fault. We are, something is wrong with us that we have let this child go through eighth grade and not even know what division is. So um, that's when I decided to do the STEM greenhouse. And the greenhouse is a metaphor because our kids need time to grow. It's not going to happen in a one day program, Mm. one day of coding. No, they need years. Okay. We need to support them from kindergarten to 12th grade. And uh, we need environments that are conducive to growth. Oof. We can't just throw seeds in the wind and just be like, like, good luck becoming an engineer. We gave you that week of camp. No, mm-hmm. we need somebody in there helping them, uh, guiding them along the way. And so Oof. that's why I call it the same green, sister, you know, I feel like you're echoing the words that I've been saying for so long. I'm always about, you know, these one day camps, they're beautiful if you just sort of want to show them, giving them a nice little picture, right? right. But if we are talking about helping to sustain or right now rebuild a pipeline, it has to be substantial time spent. Like, and I tell people, it's it's sustained effort over time. It's sustained effort over time. Nothing happens overnight. An engineer is just not going to pop up. Right. Right. That's not not how it works. Do you really think after one week of camp, they're going to be able to go into engineering? Like all the other, and I mean, and we've got kids, they're homeless. Their power is getting cut off. They, they don't have right. They got all the environmental stuff on top of it. They exactly. may have an interest. They may even have the the the, the knowledge, capacity. They could but, do it. But there's all of the stuff. Yes. Yeah, so we have to work on breaking down those barriers. And oh. I, yeah, we won't need maybe need a part two because I just feel so strongly that so much more can be done. And um, that's what I'm working towards is just uh, giving the, these kids what they deserve, which is what I always tell people. And Stop that, acting like we're doing them a favor. No, we're not. they deserve this. Just like your kids, you want deserve them to have it. this, they deserve it too. So. That's absolutely. And the thing that, that really burns me is the, the thought that they can't do it, right? Yes. That just, think they're not achieving because of, of their, their inferior. That's what it is. You don't think these kids are uh, on par with your kids, but the reality is I've worked with your kids too. And if they didn't have moms and dads who were doctors and lawyers and aunts and uncles, they wouldn't be able to do, they wouldn't be able to do this either. So exactly, we, we need to have people of color in these spaces. Um, and that's another thing. A lot of the people playing and stuff for children of color are not people of color or they're people of color who don't have STEM degrees, don't have, they don't know what it takes to be successful in STEM. Right. So they just pull, they just go by a robot and feel like, okay, we can check off STEM. We, we've accomplished that. No, you haven't. Right. Um, or the folks that, the ones that, that I'm, I have to, I've, I'm learning to love them and, and <laughs> no, no offense, but like, yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier, the people who are, are focused on science, but they call it STEM. And I'm like, no, that's science, right? Right. My thing is, okay, STEM starts with science. It ends with math. Right. For you to do a bunch of, um, you know, I don't care how many days of coding, uh, your STEM night, you need to make sure they're proficient in math and yeah. science. I okay? said that, I say that all the time because I'm just saying, I was like, because people try to these days, what I, what I see and you can tell me if I'm if I'm on the mark or not. What I've been seeing as I've sort of been watching this thing play itself out um, is they are trying to interest kids in the idea that they don't have to know math in order to be in STEM. 
that seems to be like the right. messaging I'm hearing. Oh, you can code without the, you know, and I'm like, y'all, we are setting them up. We are <laughs> setting them up. Well, and that's not. one of the reasons like, okay, so Steam has become a thing. They, they're introducing art and I don't mind introducing art, but the reality is the thing that's going to keep you from going into a, into a career in engineering or math or science is not your art ability. It's your math ability. You're not going to have the scores that you need to get in the program. You're not going to be, you have to take so much calculus just to walk in the door. Mm-hmm. So let's not fool anybody. I told a principal once because, you know, he had all these teachers work, you know, out because they're doing training on a 3D printer. And I said, you know, that 3D printer is going to be obsolete in four years. Yep. But I'll tell you what isn't going to be obsolete, math. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you you more worried about a 3D printer than whether or not these kids are proficient in math? And I've never heard anybody say, oh, without that 3D printer, I never would have made it. Stop <laughs> we got to focus on what's important and stop trying to trick these kids into thinking, no, it's going to require work. That They also need to understand that, too. This is not easy. Yes, we want you to get interested, but you're going to have to work hard. And it's OK because you can work hard. You are capable of hard work and success yes. but we want to make it seem like oh everything's so easy no it's not I don't care yeah. I don't care what you major in no really. I mean but that's true T like that is absolutely true and the, the the thing that like I really want kids to know and heck even some some um people who right now who you know who look like us who are in college and maybe struggling a little bit is like it's okay to struggle like yes. you're going to struggle, even yes. even once you you persevere through it, because that's the thing you have to persevere through it. it. When I taught math, I would tell I tell the kids, I'm like, y'all, it, this is straight problem solving. The thing about that I love the most about math is is that you have a problem, you are going to be given steps, or you'll discover steps to solve the problem, and then you solve the problem. Like that's at every single yes. level of math. That's it. Yeah. Well, let's just say I tell the kids, okay, let's just say you want to uh, get stronger and you have to lift weights. It's hard. But one day that hard, that one weight is no longer hard for you. And that's how math is going to be. Yes, it's going to be hard, but you're never going to get strong lifting the easy weight. You have to challenge yourself. That's this is making you a stronger. This is increasing your brain's capacity. And I tell them you only have. Your brain is growing until you're 25 years old and then it starts to decline. Okay. You better put as much information in there before you turn 25. I can't even do the math I did back in graduate school. My brain isn't capable of doing it. I'm on the decline. Okay. So if you don't put very much in there, you're going to, at 25, you're going to be, you're going to be sad that you hadn't put more math and and you hadn't stretched your brain. So that's a, that's one of the things that I'm, you know, that's another thing that I want kids to know you have to work hard. And as you said, they're thinking, well, maybe you noticed this in college. When I went to the P, you know, the primarily white institution and black students would struggle in a class, they would say, I must not be good enough to be in this engineering or whatever. A, a white male student, they're struggling in the class. They say that teacher is horrible. Yeah. They, they're not even, they don't say, oh, it's me. It's no, it's me. Him. No, I'm no, no. Learning. You're it's bad always teacher. something exterior to themselves. We're exactly. the one who internalize everything. Yes. I must not be good enough. Yeah. No, those white kids are struggling too. But you would know it because you don't really know them. Yeah. You're thinking just you. No, everybody is struggling. And um, but when it when but it's often getting an engineering degree, it's almost like a hazing ritual or something. You have to do all that stuff to go go through that degree. But when once you actually become an engineer, you don't ever, you know, I don't right. you don't ever do like all that stuff as you did back in, in college. That's true. Yeah. But you but, just gotta uh, do, you know, I guess that's a part of but it's it, I think you're you're right in a way, because it is it is a little bit of hazing. Like now that I'm I, you know, I'm through it and I can look back on it and you're like. Was that necessary? I probably right. not. Like I, I have never used fluid mechanics <laughs> a day in my life. Right. Two of those classes, right? Exactly. But yeah. but I but I also like they're weeding out people who are not strong enough. Right. When I look back, and even though I'm not an engineer, the things that I have the gain from going through that graduate program, which was just getting up every day and working on something, not having somebody tell me 
do work on this today. You just have to have that inner drive to to do well and and you get uh, discriminated against. You just keep pushing forward like that resilience I built going through graduate school. And that's what I'm taking with me um, into my career and things now. Uh, and that's what's the, allowed me to keep going despite all the challenges that I face. Well, okay. So that we, we, we're going to end it here. Part one. Yes. One day we'll, one. We'll have to come back. <laughs> we will have to come back later. This won't be the last time that you all get to hear from Dr. Christopher. So <laughs> where can they find you if they're looking for you and what, what's coming up next for you? Okay. Well, first of all, I will say, check out my YouTube channel, which is really just my name, Kelly Christopher, and Kelly is one L and an I. Um, I recently got a grant from Sony and they only selected 10 nonprofits in the nation. Uh, one of the reasons I got that grant was because of my YouTube channel that mm -hmm. I built up during the pandemic, providing um, videos for my students. And then Sony created a video for me as part of their Create Action grant. And so definitely check me out there. Also, my website, stemgreenhouse.org. There's opportunities to volunteer or donate or whatever. Um, and just learn more about the programs that we have. Mm. Well, y'all heard it. And again, this, this will be in the show notes. So um, just in case you didn't, you missed the you missed the YouTube channel, you missed the LinkedIn profile, you missed the website. All of those things will be in the show notes. So again, as I'm always telling you guys, you got to read the show notes. <laughs> you you got to read them. Yeah. Uh, I give a nice summary of the of the episode and I give you all of the information. Yes. So read the show notes, people. <laughs> uh, so one last question. And this is the one that we ask every guest. If you could travel back through time and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give her and why? Well, it's all actually advice that I give my daughter because we happen to be very similar people. But I wish somebody would have told me that I didn't have to be perfect. Mm. Um, I spent a lot of time, you know, I mean, the the stress and, you know, especially like when you're a person of color in these spaces, you want to excel, you know, you want to do better. You want to believe we want everyone to know that you deserve to be here. But I wish I hadn't put so much pressure on myself um, to always try to be the best. And, you know, that wasn't necessary for me to be successful. Um, and I think, you know, I would have enjoyed the journey a lot more if I hadn't uh, put that pressure on myself. And that's I don't believe that was pressure that maybe my white male counterparts had. You know, uh, they didn't have to represent a whole race of people. Right. They didn't have to do that. Uh, but I wish I had to, would have told myself, you know, it's okay to not be perfect. You can still be excellent, but <laughs> you don't have to be perfect. Um, you know, the world, yes, the world is is full of imperfect people. But, you know, um, the key is just to, to work hard and enjoy it. Ooh, yeah, I, I felt that in the I felt that in my 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 whole heart there. Yeah. All right. Well, Kelly Christopher, Doc, <laughs> I just want to thank you so much for coming on um, the show today. I couldn't. I, this episode is all about you. And I'm really so pleased to have met you um, yeah. and know that, as I said earlier, I want you to know that I'm out here, you know, rooting for you. Um, and in any way that I can support, please know that I am here. Um, and willing and available. Well, and thank you for this platform for people like myself to even share uh, their journeys and experiences. It's it's nice to have someone listen. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, this is a love fest, y'all. Uh, <laughs> oh, maybe in therapy session. Yeah. You're right. That too. All right. But stay tuned for part two because we have more to discuss. I promise you, we have more to discuss. Um, and again, um, as I do, um, every time we get together, um, a thank Dr. Christopher, but also I want to thank my audience for just being the best, for being consistent, for holding me up and holding me down. And every comment you guys make, um, whether that's on, um, Instagram or Facebook about the, the guests or the content of the, of the podcast just brings me joy. Um, you can find us on every single podcast platform that's out there, um, Stimming in Stilettos. And again, as 
as I do every show. You guys, please keep yourself safe. And until we meet again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stemming in Stilettos. Please check out the show notes to get additional information about today's guest or today's topic. You can find the podcast on every major podcast platform. You can find additional information about Dr. Tasha at www.drtasha.com. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday for the latest episode of Stemming in Stilettos.